We are a dream couple. We are what happens after Meg Ryan and Tom Hanks finally kiss. After cancer-free Joe Gordon-Levitt and sweet shrink and training Anna Kendrick eat their pizza in 50-50. We are Renona Ryder and Ethan Hawke after U2 finishes singing All I Want Is You. Hello and welcome to Chapter Surfing. I'm your host Lenny Burnham and each month me and a guest discuss a TV show and the book that it's based on. This month the book is You by Caroline Kepnes, adapted into the TV show of the same name by Sarah Gamble and Greg Berlanti. And my guest is Katie Wright from Brett Easton Hell Yes. Hello, yes, that is me. (laughs) Katie, I'm so glad I got you on for this book and show because I think that uh, the book You is really in conversation with a lot of literary fiction by male writers, including Freddie Stanellis and obviously, especially American Psycho. And I think uh, it especially really hits on something you talk about in the American Psycho, the movie episode of your podcast uh, with Maddie uh, about how uh, being with, uh, like being around a man is so, embarrassing and annoying until it's suddenly terrifying and I feel like that uh that point you made about one scene in American Psycho is really what the entire book you is about yeah that's a really good point um I think overall I think that you is um more in conversation with with other types of uh, of media, but uh, that yeah, that specific aspect of particularly American Psycho is really <laughs> uh, is really explored and expanded on in you and um, you know much more intentionally than than Brett Easton Ellis ever did, probably with the same amount of intention that uh, Mary Heron did, <laughs> but yeah, um, yeah. Uh- Joe, the character, is clearly a book guy, and uh, Caroline Kepnes is obviously a big uh, literary fiction person, I think. Uh, There's an ongoing thing in it that really reminds me of something uh, Philip Roth does, and I think probably a lot of other male writers probably do this too, where... um, Every time Joe sees Beck, he has this like inner monologue about what she's wearing where he makes like wild assertions about how much she wants to have sex with him. And it's like the bookstore is just one stop in her day. (laughs) She is not just standing around picking her outfits based on you. And obviously in uh, you, that's commentary. But when uh, Philip Roth does it, he just thinks that's a normal way to think. Um, And I I love that aspect of the book. And um, another thing I really love about it is that it's also a parody of like rom-coms and like Gossip Girl. Um, And I think that aspect of it uh, is just such an incredible pointed commentary on pop culture because it's like, uh, you know, like stuffy literary fiction aimed at snobby dudes is about women getting stalked and gaslit and also light rom-coms aimed at women are also about women getting stalked and gaslit yeah yeah um i i absolutely think it's a really it's a really common thing in um fiction by men or mainstream fiction a lot of overlap there um to have your male characters sort of observing the women of their interest and and um 
kind of asserting to the reader that they have this great insight into them based on these little things about them, like how they dress or, you know, what where they go when they enter a bookstore or whatever. Um, but there's just this feeling of like, oh, you know, I can I'm <laughs> I'm like a, a Sherlock Holmes, but for women, I I can tell because of the the cuff of her trousers that she that she uh, fancies herself to be, you know, not uh, not just a, a piece of the mainstream, but I can also tell by the the trim of her bangs that ultimately she longs for mainstream approval. Uh, and they they just have this. It's very common for the male narrators to be like, I read you like a book, girl. Um, but then to have, to, to be like deceiving and manipulating these women um, into, you know, falling in love with them or having sex with them or, or whatever, they're, whatever they do. Uh, and to just kind of be like, she, you know, she has no idea. I'm, I'm, this, I'm this puppeteer, I'm pulling all the strings behind the scenes and I'm like setting up our meetings and I'm, I'm acting like I'm disinterested. Um, and she, she has no idea. <laughs> I'm the only person who can read people. Yeah. Um, it, uh, it, uh, I think you gets uh, compared a lot to um, American Psycho and Lolita in being in like in this horrible guy's head but then it's obviously like significant, I mean, I haven't read either of them, but I feel pretty confident saying that it's like significantly more digestible and pleasant to read than any of those. And um, I love the genre of American Psycho slash Lolita for babies. Uh, <laughs> and uh, I think it's also uh, fun that even though it can accurately be described as being versions of those for little girls it's also smarter in some ways because of how it is a commentary on that uh thought process men have and is so like aware of like when we're like this isn't uh this isn't menacing it's like just embarrassing and dumb <laughs> yeah um i i have read both of those books you mentioned multiple times uh, I think I think twice each. Um, so I can say with some authority uh, that I think I, I think in some ways, um, because you sort of plays to genre conventions a little more um, and is, um, I think, for me personally, um, I think you plays to genre conventions a little more and is definitely uh, kind of less uh, transgressive than than American Psycho or Lolita, um, and it might it might kind of be a, a personal taste thing. But for me, uh, th there's a long kind of middle stretch of you where sort of my attention was wandering a little bit. Um, and and so in a way, even though American Psycho and Lolita are like much denser, uh, denser texts, I found I found both of them like kind of a little bit more gripping and compelling just because I was like, this is like so, you know, this is a really unique experience. Um, uh, American Psycho, I think, is a pretty bad book. Lolita is <laughs> Lolita's legitimately a great book. Um, uh, and even though it's very dense, I, I find it like pretty pretty easy to follow because it is so well written. Um, but definitely, where I think you kind of unequivocally succeeds that the other that Lolita and American Psycho um, 
it's much more up for debate is kind of making a clear a clear point taking a clear stance um and and kind of you know humiliating this <laughs> character who deserves to be humiliating like who deserves to be humiliated like there's really it's really hard to imagine a Joe type guy reading you and being like, yes, this <laughs> is great. And I'm happy to be portrayed this way. Um, whereas like, you know, plenty of misogynists love the American Psycho book, I'm sure like, um, and uh, Lolita, you know, I don't think that Lolita was written with the <laughs> with the goal of, making a sympathetic case for pedophiles, but, you know, the, the pedophile narrator is kind of, like, charming and engaging enough that pedophiles like it. Like, you know, Lolita Express. Like, pedophiles own the term Lolita, um, and it's disgusting. But, yeah, Carolyn Kepnes, like, shows, shows Joe in such a light that you can see how he sees himself and you can feel sympathy for him, but you don't want to be him and you don't want to be compared with him. Uh, and he's just like an utterly pathetic worm, as, as he should be. Yeah, yeah. I really uh, just uh, really admire the goal of being like, I want to make something that is aimed at women who are like, I jerk off to American Psycho. I don't want American Psycho to be so unpleasant I can't jerk off to it. But also, I want it to be a smart book, and I want it to understand that it's hard being a lady who dates men. And I think they really just nailed that. Yeah, no, that's fucking awesome. Like, I, I, I'm so glad that that exists. Uh, um, and for me, sort of, for me personally, the idea of what a book like that would be is greater than the reality of what this book ended up being. Um, but I also read it during like the first month of COVID-19 <laughs> quarantine. So it's like, I might've just been, you know, depressed and unable to find joy in anything. Yeah. I read it in January. I didn't have a care in the world. <laughs> yeah. So I might need to revisit it at some point. Uh, and my opinion could, could change a lot. Um, yeah. So definitely great of salt, but definitely in terms of sort of what the, what the book is going for, like incredible the best idea for a book of all time and and I still think that the execution is very good like I don't want to I don't want to sound like I'm shitting on it like it's a good book it's just uh you know for such an incredible idea it's not it's not like my new favorite book as it is my new favorite idea for a book <laughs> um so we uh we both watched the tv show first and then read the book about a year later um what were some of the biggest things that jumped out at you as different when you read the book? Um, so a lot of the characters are characterized pretty differently uh, in the TV show versus in the book. Um, I think Joe is the most consistent, which, you know, makes sense. <laughs> um, some of the, I think a lot of the voiceover from the TV show is like pulled straight out of the book. So it makes sense. Um, but uh, I think Beck is is fairly different um i think the beck of the book book beck um <laughs> i think um book beck especially especially at the end um kind of reveals herself to be 
pretty like pretty cold and and manipulative and like fairly calculating in a way that's like you know within the realm of how people are allowed to be <laughs> but but she definitely like is very aware of the effect she has on men and is like aware that she's using them for her own like gratification and aware that she can like fuck up their lives and it doesn't really matter to her um whereas the book of the, t- the beck <laughs> uh tv beck is um just like a very soft delicate baby <laughs> she doesn't she seems uh, like i don't think she has a lot of self-awareness and she's like not as duplicitous like she she just like in the book she cheats with her therapist but it seems like a much more just kind of like you know i'm sad i feel desperation i'm kind of like looking for assurance anywhere i can get it um and and she just seems kind of overall to be like uh, weaker. <laughs> um, and another another one, maybe the maybe the biggest like character uh, difference is Peach, because um, Peach Peach of the TV show is like so hot and like the coolest chick around. She's like this little like m- in- more intellectual Kardashian. <laughs> um, and it's and it's like you know legitimately surprising when um, when you realize that she's got this kind of obsession for Beck. Um, the peach of the book is much more of like a queer weirdo who's like kind of a loser. <laughs> like she has social cachet because she's wealthy and artsy, but she's also clearly like you know if she didn't. If she didn't have the Salinger name and, like, a huge trust fund, it seems like she would, like, someone like Beck would not give her the time of day. And it totally makes sense for her, just, like, intuitively it makes sense for her to be, like, obsessed with Beck. Um, And her kind of, her gayness is much more at the forefront. Like, she's, there's, like, a scene where she's aggressively trying to get Beck to fuck her, which we don't get anything like that in the TV show. Um... So that I think I think Peach is like the most the most different. Um, but yeah, overall, I felt like most of the characters uh, had like a pretty different a pretty different take in the show versus in the book, which you know I thought was really cool. Like um, I hate it when an adaptation of something just kind of rehashes exactly what the source material is, because then it's like, why'd you even bother? Um, but it really captures the same sort of spirit and feeling, but gives you like a different twist on it. That's interesting. I hadn't really thought of the characters as being actually characterized differently. My feeling was that there was some like weird casting because of the sort of like, I know it's not literally a CW show, but like the CWification of it, just like everyone, not even just being like physically attractive, but just having that like confidence and charisma that people on TV have. Um, obviously, most notably with Peach, who is supposed to be just like this like like real thin, like pale, frizzy haired. And like uh, six girl. feet tall, like yeah. extremely yeah. tall. She's supposed to be like really, really <laughs> awkward. And yeah, they just put like any random CW actors in there. Um, yeah. And uh, I feel like even like Beck, like in the book, she's obviously extremely beautiful, but he compares her to like Natalie Portman, whereas on the show, it's just like a blonde bombshell. <laughs> and um, I, yeah, I think like Penn Badgley is definitely the closest because. Um, Joe seems like he is supposed to be, like, a good-looking, handsome guy. Yeah. But there's still, like, a sort of, like, 
awkwardness to him that it's just like I feel like almost no one has that like even like actors who are like less good looking it's just like by way of being actors it's like really rare to find like a like John C. Riley type who like you want to watch but they read as ordinary it's like so hard to find <laughs> someone who it's just like oh yeah like that guy would get made fun of at the hipster party you like see Joe on the TV show and you're like every every Brooklyn hipster party would be like oh cool Joe's here <laughs> So you're saying um, Joe in the book you think would be more awkward and yeah, Penn Badgley doesn't quite have like, that. He would be like as good looking as Penn Badgley, but it would just still be like, oh yeah, like that's a bookstore employee, like whatever, <laughs> um, which obviously is extremely hard to cast for. Yeah, I mean, I that's interesting. I personally have always found Penn Badgley to be like exactly what you're describing. Like, yes, he's an attractive man, but there's just like something about him that is so lame and so goofy. Um, and I think he was perfectly cast uh, as Joe. Honestly, when I was reading the book, I was picturing Joe as like a hotter guy than Ben Badgley. Um, but I think, I think like, you know, it would probably be wrong <laughs> to, ca- to cast him even hotter than Ben Badgley. But that just... You know, I kept picturing somebody that, like, I would actually want to fuck. <laughs> yeah, I feel like he should have been a little closer to, like, Martin Starr. Like, it should have been I a little that. more, like, someone who would, could, like, potentially, like, stick out at a party. Yeah, I sort of picture somebody, like, um, obviously, this is a very old reference, um, but, like, um, Anthony Perkins. Oh, yeah, <laughs> yeah. That would have been really good. Yeah, um, who I, you know, he's obviously... <laughs> plays weird very well he played Norman Bates in the 1960 psycho for anyone who's not aware uh, but I also think he's just like the hottest like the most beautiful man in the world yeah. whereas I don't know Ben Badgley's just such a little doink I don't know <laughs> I saw him in person once and he was not a doink he was very handsome in person but you know for tv he's a fucking doink <laughs> Fair enough. um yeah and I think like what you're saying about Beck I feel like the on the tv show I got the sense that she is supposed to have that, like, more manipulative turn, but I just feel like the the way they cast it, she just, like, um, like, she just doesn't have that manipulative quality, and I felt like when she's, like, suddenly, like, writes the book about Dr. Nikki and, like, locks Joe in the, in the cage and all that stuff, like, instead of it being like oh my god she's like she can be pretty manipulative it's just like like if you saw like a dog hot wire car you'd just be like wow I didn't expect him to do that yeah yeah and it's it's hard to I do think that a lot of that is in the script I really think that her kind of manipulative turn that happens in the final act of the book didn't really make it into the script because they they sort of rewrote the situation of her death pretty extremely I mean you know extreme being relative but it's it's fairly different um and definitely in the book she does a lot more scheming and kind of like trying various uh various attacks to try to get her way out um and and I think um (laughs) I lost my train of thought um oh it's so it's hard to it's hard to say exactly but um I think she is written as a less canny less a less clever character but then it's also like the actress is just pretty flat so that's that's part of it like maybe if she was cast differently that kind of like spark <laughs> would come across more um I don't like I don't 
hate the actress who yeah, plays her. She just she's like, just so, like she's, very. I just feel like she's kind of wrong for the role. She just seems like she's like just like very like confident and bubbly and like which is great in like the first few episodes but yeah eventually there's just like not more to it yeah she's she's definitely a very competent actress um there are other actresses especially in season two who it's just like (laughs) why are you here um (laughs) yeah she's very competent but there aren't really levels or layers to her performance it's it's very just like I'm I'm sweet and fun, but also kind of sad and insecure, and that that's the whole thing. Whereas I really think in the book, Beck has a kind of like mask off moment in the in the final in her final days, <laughs> uh, that that really did kind of recontextualize her as a character. Like sh- she really kind of has a has a heel turn at the end. Um, yeah, the the end loses a lot of my favorite stuff from the book. I think my absolute favorite part of the book is when um when he has Beck locked up and they're reading fucking the inferno by Dan Brown (laughs) and like Joe is just like we're in love our relationship is perfect like everything is going so well um I I truly love that because he's just like has no idea that she might not be happy about being in a cage like having to read a Dan Brown Dan Brown novel he's just like yeah we're on the same page that this is an ideal relationship that is going perfectly yeah and and it's so it it's so great because like in in that moment i don't know i'm i'm as dumb as joe i guess or something <laughs> but like or you know because we're seeing th- things through his eyes i was really like yeah, like, she's, I mean, she is into it. Like, I didn't think if he was like, okay, you can be free, she'd be like, no, I want to be with you. But I was like, she does seem like she's genuinely having a good time and, like, enjoying this yeah. book. and there's, like, oh, what's so good about it is because there is, like, a level of uh, believability to that because I know, like, myself and every woman I have talked to about this has been like, yeah, I want to be in the cage, I want to be forced to write, and I want to just, like, read books all day. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Um, and I I thought you were going to say um, that it makes sense because, like, <laughs> women are so good at faking faking interest and fondness for oh, men yeah, when, when they need to, um, which makes this the comparison of her to Natalie Portman feel like, I'm, I'm not even sure how intentional it was, um, but it makes it just like such a perfect comparison because I feel like stories keep coming up about men thinking Natalie Portman, Natalie Portman is in love with them. Yeah, that's, <laughs> why, um, that's something I found sort of disappointing about the casting of uh, Beck is like such a like conventional sort of like TV hot girl. Mm-hmm. Um, but I feel like what I love about the uh, the book calling her like a Natalie Portman type is like, yeah, I see guys be weirder about, like, Ellen Page than, like, any hot blonde girl. <laughs> yeah. It's like, uh, that's who guys are weirdly obsessed with. Yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah, Natalie Portman, it's like, she's still an unbelievably gorgeous 10 out of 10, but there's just kind of something about the flavor of 10 out of 10 <laughs> she is that makes, like, makes a stupid heterosexual male brain be like she's approachable and down to earth <laughs> instead of being like intimidating because her hair is brown and she wears sneakers <laughs> yeah um the 
But when they changed the end, they also took out my favorite uh, horror thing from it. The only thing from this book that absolutely fucking haunts me. When he first locks her up and he means to play the movie Pitch Perfect, <laughs> but he never hits play. So she listens to the DVD menu of Pitch Perfect for like over 24 hours. Yeah, that's incredible. And he comes back and she's just this like <laughs> trembling mass of, <laughs> of pain. Uh, and, and she thinks it was like an intentional torture technique and rightfully so that's yeah. a nightmare and it uh it feels uh relatable of being like yeah guys always try to do something nice and then you're tortured for 30 hours yeah and the pitch perfect um it reminds me of uh another thing i really like about the book in particular is the way that it uses pop culture and the pop cultures that people align themselves with um I just think like she she tells us so much with like which which types of media and pop culture people choose to reference and then also like what they actually enjoy when they don't think they're being observed and I love that Beck uh, is obsessed with Pitch Perfect because it's this like it's this girl who's like like her in the book this very beautiful brunette girl who's who's like treated as though like oh she's not like mainstream <laughs> hot she's like she's like down to earth and quirky because she's Anna Kendrick uh and then it's also like the movie is kind of about like this this man being like I sh I should have just given you everything you wanted all along and I shouldn't have I, I shouldn't have been a problem for you and like everybody realizing she's special and if you look at it like setting aside what the movie wants you to take from it if you look at it just kind of objectively you're like i feel like that main character is like a stone-cold sociopath yeah and, and her name is becca right yeah and Pitch perfect is also specifically about like how her dad won't pay for her to go to college yeah. which is like also a big thing with becca. yeah so it, it makes like so much sense that this is beck's comfort movie and she watches it all the time and then it also makes sense that it's like total shame like she won't she doesn't want people to know that that she's into it yeah and also i think it's such a realistic thing guys do where like because she's hot he's like decided to be obsessed with her so he's like so judgmental about things other people's like but then when he finds out she actually likes pitch perfect in reality shows he just like will like rejigger his opinions yeah. in his head to be like no but she's still special she appreciates literature more than other people yeah she's still like one of the smart special people um which I think also is another thing that goes back to how she should have been more of a, like, Natalie Portman type, because I um, do think there is that thing of, like, um, like, before I transitioned, I used to wear a lot of, like, cute mod cloth dresses, and I have glasses, and, like, a lot of people would just, like, be like, you're smart, I bet you, like, you know, before sunset, <laughs> like, no, I just, like, Fast and Furious, and um, so I thought it was, like, uh, very realistic that he's just, like, constantly, like, oh, she's too good for William Faulkner somehow. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Because if she liked William Faulkner, she would be posing. Whereas, like, if she went for the Faulkner, you know he'd be like, oh, she reads Faulkner. Like, <laughs> yeah, it's just, like, completely arbitrary standards just based on her being, like, a beautiful girl he's interested in. She's like, oh, yeah, she she gets literature, even though she spends all of her time rewatching Pitch Perfect. Yeah. Which is, like, like a lot of things about Joe, I feel like if you tone it down 99% is very relatable just like when you have a crush on somebody you're you're 
thinking brain turns off and you're just like oh well the fact that the fact that he did this is cool because you know actually now that I think about it I actually do really like that I always thought I hated that but like the guy I like does it so it's great um and yeah he just does that to to such an absurd extent that it leads him to stalking and murdering um but I think I think the the root of most of Joe's actions is like you know, the same kind of um, obsessive and unhealthy behavior that we all engage in from time to time when we become infatuated with somebody. Yeah, it's definitely um, a lot of the theme of the book, I think, is about how, especially now, light stalking is really encouraged. Like, it's not really that weird that he, like, immediately looked up her Facebook and Twitter when he saw her. Like, that's something you do. And even, like, outside of social media, like, I had times when I've been, like, I have a crush on someone. What should I do? And my friend's been like, oh, just like show up at their workplace all the time. (laughs) Yeah. Um, And uh, like another kind of aspect of of what he does that is is relatable when you tone it down is um, sort of being like, you know, if if my crush knew I was doing this, it would seem creepy because they don't have all the information and they wouldn't understand why it's not creepy. Um, but then it's like, there's not really a reason that it's not creepy. Like you're just cut, you're just being weird. <laughs> like maybe, maybe if you got lucky, they'd be like, Oh, I'm also really into you. So this it's not creepy. But if they're not into you, it's like, yeah, you, you watch the same like sketch I filmed and put on YouTube a hundred times in a row and then masturbated. <laughs> like that's weird that's there's not I'm not like missing part of the information but you just feel like no because I have this like true feeling in my soul it's like special it's not creepy it's romantic right and for for him being a straight guy there's just like the extra aspect of just being like no like I'm John Cusack I can say anything I'm like all these examples of uh people being creepy where it was fine which is why um Penn Badgley is such good like stunt casting because it's just like this is literally Dan Humphrey yeah. except for like the only difference is that Dan Humphrey ki- doesn't kill people but other than that it's like yeah he obsessively blogged about Serena for years and years yeah and it's like so it's not at all difficult to imagine a plot where Dan kills somebody like yeah, yeah they happened to not do that but like it's so easy for me to imagine yeah, definitely. season seven like he kills someone for Serena and it's like oh that proves they're soulmates yeah I can definitely especially the like uh peach plot like easily imagine like if someone was like remember that like episode where the predatory lesbian has a crush on Serena and Dan kills her was like a little weird I'd be like oh yeah that was a little weird yeah yeah I think it's re- it is really incredible casting um because he is he is Dan Humphrey absolutely um and the his sort of um you know he keeps, he keeps bringing up all these rom-coms um which is another example of of I think the book using media really cleverly uh because this is sort of depicting the whole book I feel like the kind of the overarching theme of the book is like depicting romance as it's shown in media but like if a real person did that it's like yeah Uh, and and the one of the first examples he gives is from Hannah and her sisters uh, and he keeps coming back to this reference uh, where the character I think it's Elliot Gould is the character um, like 
keeps like he sets up these special situations to like run into his sister-in-law because he's in love with her um, but he can't just come out and say it because she's married so he has to like come up with this plan and it's like very romantic and and he keeps going back to being like oh no I'm do- I'm, I'm Elliot Gould this is Hannah and her sisters um and and yeah so he's he's kind of like saturated his mind with all these ideas of how you're supposed to act when you're in love and he never references or acknowledges that it's a Woody Allen movie and Woody <laughs> Allen is like famously a predator <laughs> he's just like yeah that's that's what love is <laughs> um yeah when we were talking about uh sort of how it plays with like people's pop culture knowledge and how he's like convinced himself that Beck is intellectual even though she pr- is pretty into trashy stuff um I wanted to bring up uh Karen Minty who mm. is uh, my uh, my favorite minor character in the book, and I think uh, tragically underserved in the TV show. Yeah, um, I was gonna ask, does she make it into the TV yeah, show? Yeah, she's in there. Okay, because I, I remember he dates the girl, but she's so different, and I couldn't remember her name. It's like she may as well be a different character. She yeah. just serves a similar function. But sorry, go ahead. Um, but uh, I love her so much. I love that she doesn't know who Lena Dunham is and just watches King of Queens all the time. <laughs> Whenever I read that, I'm like. God, I wish that was me. What a life. The only downside is she has a cop brother. <laughs> yeah. Um, and it's just, like, uh, so funny how he just, like, twists and turns to act like she and Beck are, like, radically different. Um, and it's just, like, you went from dating one, like, normal hot girl to a different normal hot girl. Um, but uh, my favorite unreliable narrator thing is how the whole time he's, like, dating Karen Minty, he's, like, so convinced he's, like, pulling one over on her he's just always like oh she has no idea but it's just like it's but he's just like acting like a considerate boyfriend and then um uh when and then the second he stops being nice to her she just like immediately breaks up with him like she does not put up with any bullshit from him but he's just like so convinced he laid out this elaborate trap and he's just like always like oh Poor Karen Minty. She has no idea that she was into me when I was, like, bringing her lunch every day and being nice to her. Um, but, yeah, she she actually broke up with him immediately as soon as he stopped being nice. Yeah, that's true. She rules. She's a nurse, right? Yeah. She, like, works hard. She's a good job. She's, like, financially stable. <laughs> and she's, like, unapologetically super trashy. Like, she's killing it. I'm yeah. really happy for her. And I, like, um how I um one of the things I really like about Beck is that uh it she's like a really realistic depiction of a writer which never happens because Mm -hmm. stuff is written by writers but with Beck there's just like no romanticization it's just like she is just some girl who might not have any talent doesn't work especially hard Mm -hmm. and just like tries to romanticize about herself but is actually just like watching Pitch Perfect and just like doing her dumb major because her English teachers complimented her and now she's just doing this forever. Um, and then on the uh, on the other hand, Karen Minty is like specifically like, uh, yeah, no one thinks about the nurses who draw your blood, but they're so important. And I just love that um, comparison of like Beck having an extremely romanticized career path and the book being like, that is not, that is actually not a big deal. And then like being like, nurses are a big deal yeah (laughs) you don't see that enough from writers absolutely yeah that makes me kind of curious about carolyn kepnes's background because she obviously is a writer 
and she's successful at a pretty young age, so she probably came from like a pretty a pretty privileged background, but I don't actually know. Um, yeah, it just makes me curious. Like she's got she's got a much better kind of handle on the world than I feel like most successful writers. Yeah, have. I heard. Uh, I saw like a snippet of an interview where she, she said she was like in a very dark place when she wrote this. I think her father had just died. Mm. So I think it would make sense that she was like, all the other people in my, you know, graduate lit class are dumb and annoying as fuck. That's Fair. that's the place every book should be coming from. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Um, one other, I wanted to talk about a couple, a couple other um, casting choices that I really liked. Uh, one of them... Um, is um i cannot remember the character's name but she she's like the best writer in the program oh yeah um Blythe Blythe yeah. yeah um i really i really like that i don't i don't think she's trans in the book if she is it is not mentioned um and in the tv show they cast a trans actress and they didn't you know they didn't like try to try to hide that she was trans but they also didn't like feel like they had to make a big deal about it um i just thought like that was that was a really cool uh moment of representation you you usually do not see uh trans women getting cast in roles that were not explicitly for them and you usually see the opposite <laughs> yeah i uh i like that they were like uh since we're adapting this material where the only lgbt person is predatory and then gets murdered uh, <laughs> might as well give a trans actress money yeah and i and i love that the, you know she's not just one of the like kind of neutral friends she's like the best writer in the program and like a super hot pretentious cunt <laughs> like that's just like such a cool role like I, I that i feel like trans actresses don't get access to enough um and she's like very she's a very good actress and she's very hot so thumbs up all around um yeah <laughs> the other the other casting choice i really like is benji who is another another um i think benji and joe are the two who i feel like most closely kind of reflect what I would have expected from the book uh and the like this I it, I make it oh it makes me so happy mm -hmm. it feels so good to think about that in uh in the book the first time Joe sees Benji he's like oh this this motherfucker like wandered out of a Brett Easton Ellis book <laughs> and then the actor that they got I can never remember his name but he was in the movie The Informers based on the Brett Easton Ellis book The Informers so he literally he literally this is an actor who walked out of a Brett Easton Ellis movie and then did this and it's so good pretty sweet <laughs> yeah pretty oh, sweet oh it makes me so happy <laughs> I just like to imagine the like that actor because he's he's not like super famous or super well known and the informers is like not known yeah. <laughs> it's, it, it's like the most uh non-existent Brad Easton Ellis adaptation um has no pop culture reputation um but I like to imagine just like the actor happened to be reading you <laughs> and then like he comes across that description of the character and he's like fuck fuck I gotta call my agent I gotta call my agent because <laughs> it's it just seems like it's hard for me to imagine that working the other way, like the producers being like, okay, we gotta, like, he mentions Bretty Stanellis one time, so we gotta find an actor who, like, had a role in a Bretty Stanellis <laughs> movie. Doesn't matter if nobody saw it, it doesn't matter if it's not a famous actor. Um, yeah, it just makes me really happy. I'm obsessed with Bretty Stanellis, so of course I'm focusing on that, um, but it's great. And I think, and he's a really great actor. Yeah. And I think that Benji is the, I mean, <laughs> explicitly, this is not me being 
uh, smart. This is explicitly in the text. Like Benji does kind of represent the Brett Easton Ellis <laughs> kind of character, like the Brett Easton Ellis kind of worldview um, that Joe thinks he's so much better than because Benji is this like rich party boy who's just like, you know, fucking Beck, but doesn't care about her and is kind of like, kind of stringing her along. Like she's, she's really into him and he's like very aloof uh, and he's, you know, super privileged and he's very faux intellectual. Um, and, uh, and yeah, it's just like, you know, Joe thinks that he's so much better than that. And like, that's so disgusting, but Benji doesn't hurt anybody. Benji doesn't kill anybody. And Joe does. And, you know, being an aloof fuckboy is much better than being a full-on stalker. Yeah. But Joe's and, just like, no, I care, so I'm good. Yeah, and Benji's also, like, not leading her on in any way. It was just, like, <laughs> she wishes he liked her more than he did, but that's just, like, unfortunate. He's, like, not manipulative at all. Um, and also, an interesting thing about both Benji and Joe, uh, will you bring up the Brady Spinellis comparison, is that they're just, like, truly are, like, not masculine, even, like, superficially in that way. Benji's, like, a, uh, like, little hipster who's, like, oh, it'll hurt my stomach if you give me anything besides a bear burger. Um, <laughs> and Joe's also a little dweeb, which I think is partially uh, the, sh the sh uh, book and show being, like, more honest about, like, these are little dweebs, right? And having, like, no illusions of, like, presenting how Patrick Bateman sees Patrick Bateman. But I think it's also um, just, like, uh, 2015 or whatever, as opposed to Bretty Stanellis' heyday. It's just, like, now the ideal man is just a skinny, sickly boy who can only eat raw kale. Yeah. And that's what every lady wants. True, we're in the we're in the era of Timothy Chalamet. Yeah, <laughs> yeah absolutely. Um, I'm trying to find the actor who plays Benji's name because he's such a delight, and I feel bad for not knowing it. Um, but yeah, while we're while we're talking about Benji, um, I fucking love the Benji abduction sequence. Yes. <laughs> uh, it's it's fucking killer in the TV show, and I think it's even better in the book. Um, do you? I, do you yes. want to talk about it? Uh, when, he ha when he has uh, Benji imprisoned, it's very hot. I really it's ship them. There's a lot of uh, calling Benji like his little golden retriever. <laughs> yes. Very sexy. Yeah. Um, and yeah, it has, uh, similar to, I said my very favorite part of the book is when they're reading the Inferno and they're in love. Um, I also really enjoy how with Benji, he's just like making him take little book quizzes yeah. on his favorite books. And I know so when you good. started reading that, you were like, should we do this for each other without the kidnapping part? Just like making little quizzes. <laughs> it sounds so fun. Yeah. Like I can't, I, every time I think about that or revisit it, I'm just like, I want somebody to abruptly make me list my five favorite books <laughs> and then to like describe why. Yeah. That rules. <laughs> um. Yeah, I um, fucking love. I fucking yeah. love it. I feel like um, Benji really, uh, to me, reflects uh, all the stuff I hate most about myself. Um, it sh I shouldn't feel that way because Benji's like a cool, hot dude who's doing better than me in every way. But a lot of really specific stuff about him, I'm like, you know, 
I do feel like I understand Kerouac without reading it, and I do think that I'm allergic to everything besides bear burgers. Like, <laughs> Caroline Kepnes got my ass. Yeah, I mean, it is, it's so funny. Like, um, Benji gets kidnapped, and Joe makes him list his five favorite books, and they're like, on the road, infinite jest, underworld. The one real Gravity's one is Rainbow. Red Badge of Courage, yeah, which is very cute. Red Badge of Courage. And then the other one is Gravity's Rainbow. So yeah, it's like four four of these like famous fuckboy texts that nobody reads. And then like the only quiz he does okay on is Red Badge of Courage. Yeah. Um, um, but when he's he's uh, when he's uh, flunking these quizzes because he hasn't actually read these. He's like, he's like, you know, I just feel, you know, you can read a book without like reading it. Like, you know, I just feel in a sort of postmodern way that I would really connect with on the road because I like connect with people who like it. And it's like, he's clearly trying to bullshit his way out of this, but it's also like, that does resonate with me. Like, yeah. I get it. I, I have that relationship to some media as well. Like, I yeah. would, you know, I wouldn't list them on my favorite, <laughs> on my list of favorite TV or movies or books, but I'm like, yeah, like, I feel like I know that if somebody likes Ted Chang, <laughs> that, like, we, you know, we're compatible. So, like, I would probably like Ted Chang. <laughs> yeah, especially because I feel like... Uh, you can read a book without having read it. Like, yeah, I can be like, oh, yeah, I, like, drifted my eyes over all the words, and I, now I'm like, I don't know. So it feels like, why would not the opposite be true? Yeah, yeah, and he's like, he, he's like, you know, I went, to, I went to college for this, and, like, you read criticism, you can read a book without having read it. I'm like, yeah, that makes sense. Like, I've read the, the book of essays that Joe references in this book uh, by Jonathan Franzen, where he talks about some of his favorite books, and I'm like, oh, yeah, like, I feel a connection to Paula Fox now. I've never, fu- I've never fucking read Paula Fox. Yeah, I feel like part of, like, why that resonates so much is because, like, in high school, you actually read, like, Beowulf, but, like, what do you get out of reading Beowulf? Yeah. Fucking nothing. And then, like, the teacher explains it, and you're like, oh, yeah, okay. Right, yeah. So it, like, hardwires you to be like, I understand things better when I listen to a person talk about it yeah. than when I actually read it. Yeah, absolutely, yeah. Um, and I, okay, I saved this part of the scene with Benji that I really liked a lot. Let me see if I can find it. Oh, no, wait, it was just the part that I just talked about. Um, but there was something else that I really liked about the Benji scene. I guess just all of it. <laughs> Maybe so that covered good. it. It's re- it's really Especially it's really in the hot. Book. It's like it's Yeah, it's hotter in the, in the book. Yeah, in this yeah, in the TV show is like, you know, exciting to be like what's going to happen with this kidnapping. But yeah, in the book it's like crazy hot. Yeah, cuz he's re- he really like he really leans into the psychological torture and domination in the book. Like, it's yeah, very in the, in sexy. Yeah, it's a lot more just like, oh, this is, like, inconvenient. Like, what am I going to yeah. do with him? But he's, he's having fun. Yeah, yeah. It fucking rules. It fucking rules. Um, I, wish, I wish more of the book was like that, honestly. <laughs> like, that's, that's what I'm here for. Um, and I also, this is just a little aside, but I do want to say Benji's, oh, this is this was the other this was the other thing that I really like when he makes um, Benji is like trying to get this little um, club soda startup oh, yeah. going and he and he always talks about how it's like special club soda like it's extra 
extra aerated and like organic or whatever and it's super special and he made joe makes him do a taste test of his own club soda with like two shitty club sodas and he has he has no idea and he's like okay is this what you want me to say i don't know they're the same they're the same okay i'm selling like it's it's like an idea it's like an aesthetic i'm it's about selling like a brand okay it's not about the soda and i just really like him like he's been in captivity for so long at, with before he'll like admit that his that his club soda brand is like all smoke and mirrors and it just really feels like he's really broken in the moment where he's like okay fine it's just about an aesthetic um and I also just want to say that his his seltzer is called home soda because it's like club soda but it's like it's not, you know it's not about the glitz and glam of the club it's like about coziness and like comfort and I legitimately think that's a great fucking name for a seltzer brand and I would buy home soda and I don't care if it tastes exactly like LaCroix because it's about a brand it's about an aesthetic <laughs> um his name is Lou Taylor Pucci by the way the actor I look him up every every time I see him I look him up and then I'm like his name is so weird it's Lou Taylor Pucci I'll never forget that and then I always do yeah Lou Taylor Pucci he's a great actor uh he he pops up all the time but he's like just like not a name but he's great even though he's in one of the legitimately worst movies i've ever seen mm -hmm. horseman oh shit yeah wow. yeah what a what a career what a career horseman and the informers wow yeah <laughs> <laughs> um i was just gonna say with the like hipster soda brand i feel like um the book and the TV show as well really, really captures just like being young in New York City and just like so, so much pop culture is about like these hipsters in New York and most of it is fucking embarrassing. And I feel like this one just like truly nails like this is exactly what every NYU student is like. All the dumb conversations <laughs> Beck has with her friends are perfect yeah absolutely um we're at seven percent do you want to take a little break and sure. charge so the other big change that i wanted to talk about is that the tv show added paco the little boy neighbor that joe is friends with what did you think of that addition yeah that was also the next thing i wanted to bring up um so i feel like on its surface that's some dumb Hollywood bullshit like <laughs> oh he's got like oh he's got this little boy who he helps take care of um but <sighs> I don't hate it as much as I feel like I should <laughs> um and I kind of think what I like about Paco is it's kind of a slow burn like for most I think maybe up until the season finale um like Paco really is just there just seems like he's there to kind of humanize Joe um he's he's like he's living with his um I think his mom's an addict and her boyfriend is abusive uh and he he gives Paco books and and he's like a good role model for him um yeah and it just seems like it's like hey Joe you know Joe's capable of good things um but then in the in the season finale he ends up like inadvertently kind of recreating all the traumas and like much worse traumas um that he went through as a child that made him the kind of like monster that he is <laughs> and he ends up like getting this this sad abused child um 
complacent in his in his murder of Beck, uh, and and he just kind of like stumbles ass backwards into all this like deeply traumatizing this child. And the the fact that the show like never really sits you down and is like, see how these things are the same, see how the cycle of trauma repeats. Like the show kind of respects you enough to let you put put that together. Um, I feel like I feel like Paco's kind of annoying for most of the season, but then I really feel like he pays off in the finale. <laughs> I see that. Yeah, I it didn't really bother me when I watched the show, um, and then looking back on it, realizing it was an an addition from the book, it was. I did think it was a little annoying. Um, it just really reminds me of sort of like the classic like Tony Soprano Walter White approach to television of like. He does bad things, but he has a son. That's what nuance is. Just <laughs> like that guy's not complicated. Um, but yeah, it does. It does get more interesting towards the end. Um, it feels like they don't do a ton with the potential of Paco or really Mr. Mooney, who like locked him in with books and then later told him murder was good. Um, yeah, it's like it's nice that they don't like overdo it and um like you know like hammer hammer home like you were saying um but there is like a little bit of feeling like that was setting up threading a needle that they never threaded I think. yeah that's fair and it is it is strange um that that's like the one the one thing they add like that's the really the one like new plot element that they just invented whole cloth um and it does kind of feel like sort of a too many cooks like producer note like we need to if we're gonna if we're gonna follow this protagonist we need to see him do something good let's put a cute kid in there um yeah and and it i I do you know i do feel like i i enjoy the use of paco in the finale but it's more like you know kind of trying to make the best like they they managed to sort of make the best out of this kid that they got saddled with for whatever reason but yeah he is kind of a it's a very strange thing to choose to add, and like, for the amount of screen time he gets throughout the season, he's like not worth it. Yeah, it's weird. Like, I don't know what I would add if I were adapting the show because I do like agree with the thought that like so much of the show is just stuff that like is only interesting because you're in Joe's head. Like a lot of the stuff that I wish there was more of is like. Uh, if you're watching it on a film or TV show is just like he's watching TV with his girlfriend um, even like with the voiceover Um, so I get why they were like we need to add a TV thing but I feel like that was like not quite it yeah yeah they could have they could have done something different we get um, we get like more of Joe's past in the book, like more of Joe's childhood than we get in the TV show. And it maybe would have been a better use of their time to like dig into that some more, like his weird relationship with his mom and, and her, her, his relationship to like her relationship to men um, feels like it kind of like shows you a lot about his taste in women. I don't know. That could be more interesting. I could see that. Although I also do hate when they actually do that in season two. 
I oh, feel yeah, like that right. was so exhausting. I, uh, You're right. My friend uh, <laughs> Sarah, who was the guest in the previous episode to this, uh, oh, yeah. when they started doing those flashbacks, was like, whenever a show like this starts flashing back to the main character's childhood, it's like, just tell me which parent he kills. <laughs> yeah, you know what? You're right. You're right. And I think maybe what they should have done instead of more flashbacks which you're yeah they're not that great when they do happen instead of more flashbacks or uh paco uh they should have just had more more uh weird weird sex yeah stuff. more dungeon yeah oh, <laughs> yes the me, weird, sense, weird tor- i, I mean more, more, yeah. more weird uh psychosexual stuff yeah. not necessarily sex <laughs> but like yeah like more torment <laughs> more darkness yeah there was yeah. definitely no reason he couldn't have um had benji in the dungeon for almost the entire show and like only murdered him when he needed to uh vacate it so beck could get in there yeah yeah it would make sense for him to like put off murdering him you know he's not he's never like hyped to murder people he's always like oh, i had no choice <laughs> so it would be totally in character for him to just like drag it out yeah, yeah. I think they didn't do that because, uh, like, Lou Taylor Pucci had somewhere to be. <laughs> uh, Joe is like such a sort of like, um, sort of like stumbling into it guy, and you do see that like when stuff is going well, it's like as long as Beck goes with everything he wants, <laughs> he doesn't have any need to kill anybody. <laughs> um, and I could see how it would be like a very different tone for there just to be like a lot of psychological torment but at the same time that would that would make the show more watchable let's do it it was going to be different anyway adaptations are different yeah yeah or yeah or his you know it could be his kind of you know maybe he and becker are floating in their bubble for most of season one but like we see more of his toxicity like how it expresses itself in other aspects of his life or something i don't know in the book, he, like, gets away with murders pretty easily, which I think is kind of, like, a classic literature thing of just being, like, we don't have to explain <laughs> anything. That's not interesting to me as the author, so, like, whatever. Yeah. But it would make sense in a TV, da- TV adaptation to have a lot more sort of, like, Breaking Bad type, like, we need to hide the body, we need to, like, destroy the forensic evidence type yeah. stuff. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, more kind of, like, more, su- like, suspense moments. Like, oh, is he going to get caught? Is he going to get away with it? Yeah. Yeah. Um, that, oh, that kind of reminds me of one, one little, it's like such a little thing, but I really liked that was in the book that didn't make it into the show was, um, when he kills Benji, I can't remember exactly what he, he, does he store his body in Benji's storage locker or like he cremates him and then puts the ashes in the storage locker. There's a lot of interesting storage locker stuff that they don't get into. Yeah, yeah, that would have been really good to have more of the stuff where like for some reason he just had to steal Benji's hat. That's what I was going to bring up. Like a whole weird thing while he's stalking Peach's like um, vacation house. Um, There's like a pretty long sequence where there's like mistaken identity and all that stuff comes together. And yeah, like that stuff really like feels like tv um more than a lot of the stuff they did choose to put in there so yeah it's weird yeah and the hat the hat specifically was what i was gonna bring up that um he just has this impulse like Mm -hmm. he sees this hat in benji's storage locker and he's like i have to fucking have it i have to and he just takes it and he wears it which is like you know a a kind of a it, it like it's it's nice to see i like seeing joe just kind of do something and not know why like some like 
kind of have impulse control that's unrelated to his lust for back. Yeah, he also steals <laughs> that Ozma of Oz from Peach. Right. But we don't, yeah, we don't see like that much of that. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and I and I love like he so he just like has to take this trophy and he has to wear um, he has to wear uh, Benji's hat around and it feels like this Chekhov's gun of he's like he's like if I get caught with this fucking hat like I'm <laughs> fucked but I just have to have it and he's and there's like a couple points where it seems like oh shit is he gonna get caught because of the hat and um, towards towards the end when he's trying to track back down at Peach's place, um, he gets in like this big car wreck and then a cop finds him and the cop like sees the hat and like it means something to him and you start to think like he's gonna get caught because of the hat but then it turns out the hat gives him credibility. He sees the hat and he's like, oh, you went to that, it's like private school or whatever, or you belong to that country club. Like, oh, okay, you're like, Mm -hmm. I can trust you because you're this like, you know, wealthy kind of private school kid because you have this hat. And it's it's like the opposite of of the Chekhov's gun, you know, it like ends up saving him. Uh, yeah, I just, it's like a very small thread in the book, but I really like the way it played out. Yeah, I really like that um, sequence uh, with the cop because uh, it just feels like the cop like wants so badly to be like, oh, like, this is a nice, rich, right boy. Like, I, I don't care. And I'm going to, like, make him soup. Like, this is, like, so nice. Like, he so badly wants to be a cop about it. And Joe just, like, keeps being <laughs> conspicuous, even with all that privilege. And it's, it's very fun and yeah. suspenseful to watch. Yeah, absolutely. Or read, I guess. Right. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. I am also interested in talking a little bit more about the, the different the different ways that Beck's um, Beck's untimely end play out in the in the book versus the TV show um, and sort of the the thing that Beck does towards the end um, the uh, towards the end of her time in captivity uh, in the book is she's like there so they're they're reading the inferno together and she just keeps being like, oh, oh, uh, you, like, wait till you get to this page. Or no, she'll be like, I read a little bit slower than you. Um, so so whenever he's like, oh, I just found something great. Like, you'll see it in a minute. It's page blah, blah, blah. She'll be like, oh, OK, OK, great. And then she turns and she like just reads the one page that you commented on. And then she's like, oh, my God, you're so right. Uh, so she's like really effectively conning him into thinking she's reading this whole book and she loves it. Um, and then, you know, he feels, like, so betrayed when he realizes what her con was. Um, and then when she finally kind of drops drops the act of, like, caring about him or, like, really of him ever having been important to him, uh, she's, like, she doesn't even know that she's, she's almost on the verge of, like, saving herself. She's almost on the verge of getting out. But then she takes the exact wrong tack and she's, like, yeah, look, okay, you got me. You got me. I'm a cunt. I don't care about you. Just let me go. You'll never hear from me again. Like, it's not a big deal. Just let me go. I, I will not, I will, I will disappear. And he was, he was like just about to be like, yeah, we can salvage our relationship. I can let you go because we're in love. And then in that, but she can't read his mind. And in that moment, she's, she plays her hand exactly wrong. And he straight up, he chokes her 
and she passes out and he's like oh my god i can't believe i killed her and then she wakes up and he's like fuck i thought i killed her and then he kills her for real it's just great it's just yeah. a great sequence I, yeah i love that moment you were talking about of her being like okay fine and like being honest because it is uh, it like brings uh sort of the commentary and uh satire of the book together so well to for it to just be like blatantly her mistake was being like okay i'm human i'm like not your yeah. dream girl and he's like no you're my dream girl yeah. Yeah. um and uh, that's an aspect of beck uh i really like that i think they flattened out in the show a lot um because uh i know like i feel like in pop culture there's so many portrayals of like manipulative sexy women um that just like make it seem like cool and it's just like oh she's got guys in the palm of her hand that's awesome and the thing I like about Beck is that I'm like yeah when I like uh am hot so guys are like wow you're so interesting it like sucks like (laughs) it's so dumb to like be able to like have the ability to be like wow that movie you're talking about is so interesting like talk to me more you're like why do i have this it doesn't benefit me why do i have this instinct to make guys be able to go like weeks and weeks being like oh she thinks i'm so interesting (laughs) like we're having so much fun together even when you're miserable like it sucks (laughs) there's no advantage to it and then you get murdered yeah (laughs) yeah um and yeah um back in the tv show her her final days are definitely flattened out um and and she She's, she's not as dynamic a character, but she does she does have kind of like one really good sort of thesis statement moment where for a second she turns the tables on uh, on Joe and she gets him locked in the cage and she's on the outside and she's like, yeah, okay, I lied to you. Yeah, I, I cheated on you. But you are murdering people and stalking me. You think those things are equivalent? Yeah, I think that's really, really good commentary, not really on, like, pop culture itself, but on, like, fandom, because people are insane about cheating, especially, like, um, on, like, sh- shows with shows like Pretty Little Liars or like Riverdale and stuff, there's like a very clear pattern of like people like do not get upset about pedophilia unless it's also cheating. <laughs> it's so weird. Wow. It's so creepy. I yeah. hate it. Yeah. People are insane about cheating. People are also so bizarre about like women's behavior versus men's behavior. Um, like you, you already know this, you were there for this, <laughs> but I teach these creative writing workshops Um and I, for one, I assigned two different stories for the class to read. One of them was Cat Person by Kristen Rupinian, and one of them was um, a Juno Diaz story. I think it might have been This Is How You Lose Her. Um, and we, we talked about Cat Person first, and we, like, hardly even got to talk about the craft of the story or the writing at all because, like, a handful of women in the class were like this girl is inexcusable she is a slut she is and it's like this it's this like 19 year old college girl who has like regrettable sex that she's uncomfortable with with like a, a guy in his mid to late 20s um and it's like it's like a situation where it's like oh nobody's really in the wrong or maybe he's a little creepy <laughs> um but th- th- like they have sex one time and then she doesn't want to see him again like normal um but a couple of women in the class were just like she's just like she you know, she's 
she leads him on and then she sleeps with him and then she doesn't want to see him again just because she doesn't like him. Like, she's an absolute slut. <laughs> and it got, it got like really heated. Um, and then afterwards I was like, okay, let's talk about the, um, this is how you lose her, which is this story with like a classic Juno Diaz narrator. Who's this like shitty dude who cheats on his girlfriend and then is like, Oh, I'm so sad for me that she doesn't want to be with me anymore. Eventually after I cheat on her a bunch, and like nobody had shit to say about him like we actually got to talk about the story nobody was like he's a monster and he was like he was so objectively a worse person but there is just like something something about a woman being anything but like just the ultimate pure yet accommodating woman like if you if you buy into a certain type of worldview it's just like nothing enrages you like that um and so for me it really felt like like beck was talking to to those women like these are not equivalent yeah and i this morning i read like a bunch of the most popular goodreads reviews of you and so many of them were just like everyone in this book is a terrible person as like a blanket statement and it's like very clearly like Beck is like a regular person you could meet in real life and be friends with and maybe be like, oh, my friend is kind of selfish. And then Joe is like a monster you should avoid for your safety. Yeah. Um, but there will just be like, oh, they're such selfish people. What a match. Yeah. Like Beck is not even the most, like the most you can be a bad person and it's still acceptable within the broader social contract. Like she's, mild she's very mild she's she's just like insecure and like will cheat sometimes and like will accept affection from men to make herself feel better even if she doesn't like them which like whom among us yeah. in our 20s think, like, <laughs> the weirdest thing she does is lie about her dad being dead that's like oh, legitimately yeah. like weird but it's still like not like hurting anyone yeah. it's just like bizarre and offensive right yeah and like um in the I, I like I don't know what what things people point out um I I didn't read the Goodreads reviews so I'm not sure what things the readers are pointing out as being her worst crimes but definitely the thing that like breaks Joe is that she fucks her therapist and like he like leaves his <laughs> I think he leaves his wife for her she she sort of like destroys his life but like Okay, he's, you know, he's the therapist, so he's the medical professional and, like, in a in a place of authority. And he's, like, 40, 45 or whatever, and she's, like, 22. Like, there's, there's all these, <laughs> and he's married and she's not. There's just, like, all these ways where he's the, he's much worse, but it feels like, I mean, in fairness, Joe does go after him just as much. <laughs> but um, if I had to guess. And, you know, he also kills uh, the music producer who sleeps with Candace. True. So don't say he's not a feminist. Yeah, he's a saint. <laughs> but if I had to guess, I would say these people who are saying, like, oh, yeah, Beck's a sociopath, too, are pro would probably pull out, like, Dr. Nikki as the prime example of her being a monster. But it's like. You know, if if he was a good if he was a good guy and a good therapist, like nothing nothing she could do would <laughs> would force him to fuck her and leave his wife and child. Like he has agency. Yeah. 
Yeah, and what's funny, after reading all those reviews, uh, then we rewatched the episode where she has that moment where she says to him, uh, what, you think we're both messed up and we're the same? And I was like, that is exactly the takeaway. Yeah. Um, so yeah, that was, that was fun. That was a good commentary on the part of Sarah Gamble and Greg Berlin. Yeah, absolutely. I was also surprised in the in the book, this is just another like slight, um, slight characterization difference. Um, I felt like Dr. Nikki in the book seemed like much more like the kind of guy that I would have the hots for mm-hmm. in my real life. Like he's, he, he doesn't have the like John Stamos swagger and like bleached, bleached grin and like Hollywood good looks. He's like, like I was picturing sort of, this is a very niche reference. Most people aren't going to know what it means. Lenny, you will. Okay. Sort of like a present day Scott Kloppenstein. <laughs> he's, the, he's this like, like he seems kind of beta. <laughs> he's this like, you know, handsome, but normal, like 40s-ish guy who like was punk and then had to settle into like a sensible career to take care of his family. And he's like, you know, sort of, but he's also like the, um, the oh, fuck who's the actor um, on, on you're the worst. Gretchen starts stalking that married couple. Um, the dad was on animal hospital. Uh, yeah. The guy from weeds. I don't remember. Uh, Jason, name. Jason something. Kirk. Kirk? Yeah, Justin, Justin, Justin Kirk. Kirk, yeah, yeah. Um, this is maybe a slightly less niche reference, I don't know. I can't think of a good famous reference. Oh, or like, um, like eh, this isn't quite right, but sort of the same vibe as like Jason Bateman and Juno. Um, but, you know, a little bit more of a sad sack. Like, like you know, he used to be cool, he used to be punk, but like now he has to be a suburban dad, but he's like, hey, I'm still cool, I'm still with it. Um, but he, he had a, a lot more of a like, yeah, I, I just he 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 seemed less smarmy, less sure of himself, um, and and like a lot more like the type of guy that when I was a a twenty something in New York that like girls were actually going for is just this like kind of like quiet artsy guy, um, but yeah. So that was that was like an interesting difference in um, characterization. Yeah. I thought my favorite Doctor Nikki detail that I'm pretty sure is not. Um, in the show is uh, when Joe first starts seeing him he like has this whole metaphor of like you you have a mouse in your house and you need to get a cat to chase the mouse mm. out and then Joe finds out that that was something Beck said to him she was oh, like yeah. I feel like there's a mouse in my house and how do I get it out I guess like I have to get a cat and like the fact that he took that and used it as advice for other patients is so just like weird and pathetic and malpracticing <laughs> and I just truly love what a bad, pathetic, weird therapist. He is He's a super bad therapist. He <laughs> definitely seems like so nice. And yeah. I love how much Joe likes him. That's another one of my favorite parts of the book because Joe, Joe just is like so proud of himself for being in therapy even though he's just lying about everything but yeah. he just sincerely keeps being like I'm so good at therapy true, and there's yeah. a part where uh, he he tells Dr. Nikki something and Dr. Nikki says that a lot of people say that and the narration is literally I'm normal exclamation <laughs> point I love that yeah that's right it's so good I was sad to see that in the book um that in the book Joe doesn't pretend to be gay. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, I did. I did enjoy that on the TV show to cover his tracks. Mm-hmm. He's like, I'm here to talk about my 
boyfriend. <laughs> that was just good fun. Yeah. Thanks, Greg Berlanti. <laughs> I do um, like that, like, weird obsessive behavior he chooses instead of like anything interpersonalist he's like i've just been watching the same music video over and right. over again and i i do like sort of how that gives gives us sort of like a window into like how he thinks of beck is just like this is this like entertainment that i like yeah that's true yeah <laughs> um yeah, i don't know got anything else uh no i feel like i feel pretty good about how much we discussed the TV show and book you. I do as well. All right. You want to freaking rate them? I do. All right. Uh, so I consider you to be pretty much a perfect book. I love it. Was riveted by every page. Giggled, cried, went on a joiny, joiked off, all the great stuff. Uh, I'm going to give it five stars. Um, the TV show, I was swept away by uh when i first watched it especially because it's just like really the kind of tv show i want to make just sort of like psychosexual thrillers that are also just delightful and uh and smart and like making commentary and good points that are ultimately correct and not offensive um love it uh on rewatch i felt like it was a slightly more flat than the book um and I still like it, and I'm going to give it four stars. By the way, this is for you, season one, because that's what we're comparing to the book. Uh, so I'm going to give, uh, yeah, you, season one, four stars. Very, very good. Not as perfect as the book, IMO. Uh, so I it was a little hard for me to decide um, how to rate these things. Um, I feel like you, season one, uh, is, like, very consistently entertaining and is so, like, just like so fun especially on the first watch mm -hmm. uh just a delight um i feel like you the book for me had like its highs were way higher than the show but then it also as i've mentioned a couple times kind of lagged in the middle um i'm not i'm not personally usually into like relationship drama kind of stuff so this sort of like middle chunk where he and beck are mostly just kind of dating and then like breaking up and having fights um to me wasn't that interesting when like his kind of sociopathy was sort of on the back burner and like wasn't affecting the action that much um so i'm gonna give both of them three and a half stars but they're different three and a half stars is um yeah <laughs> no. um so i like to end with some recommendations and since i liked the book better than the tv show i'm gonna recommend a tv show for fans of the book i'm gonna recommend the show euphoria on hbo uh i think it's very similar to the book you um in that it has i think my personal favorite tone, which is where something is like very heightened dramatically and very stylized, but also like feels more real and more like emotionally resonant and reflective of real life in the ways that count than other stuff. Um, and it's also like very young and very current in a way that is very rare, but that I think you also is. Um, and uh, Nate Jacobs, the Jacob Alordi character, I think is similar to Joe in that like, he has the rare thing of like, 
I could watch him forever and I'm like completely into watching this character, but I'm also like unambiguously like, he sucks, dude. I have no mixed affection for him. I'm just like, that dude's bad. Get him away from me, but also put him on my TV all the time. <laughs> um, so this, I gave them both three and a half stars, so it was tricky. Um, I think because, I think the craft of you the novel is stronger um but from an entertainment perspective my first watch through of you season one was more exciting to me on the whole than my first read through of you the novel um even though you know the last 150 pages of the novel like fucking knocked it out of the park probably (laughs) harder than the show um so you know it's very making a very fine distinction but um i'm gonna give it just by just by an inch i'm gonna give it to the tv show um which i think is great because now we have i'm gonna recommend a book so we recommend one tv show we recommend one book it's perfect um so i am gonna recommend you know you want this by Kristen rupinian (laughs) um yeah i made lenny read this book and he liked it um so i already mentioned cat person so this is the uh, short story collection that Cat Person is in. You it, you may be familiar with Cat Person. It, it went kind of viral on Twitter a couple of years ago. Uh, it was in, in the New Yorker. Um, and I think what Kristen Rupinian does really well that I think will appeal to fans of you is that um, in, in this short story collection, a couple of her sort of favorite themes are kind of the slice of life feel of like millennial dating and hookup culture and sort of the ways that our own insecurities um, make us behave uh, not ideally in normal normal dating situations. Um, and then another one of her favorite topics is just like the darkest depravities <laughs> of the human spirit. <laughs> um, so um, I think cat person if you're if you're like interested in sort of a perspective from like a beck kind of character um cat person i think could satiate that uh and if you're interested in the perspective from like you know somebody who's kind of a joe but but without the like murder (laughs) (laughs) the nice guy is uh is another story that's kind of like slice of life dating stuff about just like a guy who's been shitty to a lot of women in a lot of relationships and is kind of feeling sorry for himself about the idea of them judging him uh and then if you're into the like twisted psychosexual horror of it all um you know uh you know you want no bad boy bad boy is the story that the title you know you want this comes from uh and it's about uh i won't give too much away just just read it um but it's about a couple whose friend goes through a uh, breakup and starts crashing on their couch and then like weird sex stuff starts going down and it just like gets weirder and weirder um and also if you're if you're a fan of the the uh constant use of the of the kind of like a a non-conventional narration in the tv show and the book you um it's not quite second person some people want to call it second person but it is a first person narrative that uses you the word you a lot because it's at least theoretically directed at beck 
uh, although it's really just Joe thinking. Um, but if you if you like sort of a quirky twist on narration style, um, a bad boy is told in first person plural, which you don't encounter in a lot of fiction and and has a, pr a pretty interesting and cool effect uh, and it's it's a very sexy story uh, although it also gets gross um so if you like you perfect <laughs> yeah um i gave both of those books five stars on goodreads uh great wreck they pretty much gave me the same reaction of just being like get out of my head you have taken all of my thoughts and shape them into prose like I never could. Uh, grateful to both of those yeah. authors. Christine Wonderful people. just fucking gets it. Yeah. Carolyn Kepnes too. Yeah. Saints. Hats off to you, Gail. <laughs> I would love for Sarah Gamble to make Bad Boy into a show next. Oh my god, yeah. Oh, did I tell you that I heard that, the, that HBO is making... Um, like a, a series based on you know you want this like an episode oh, like an yeah like an anthology like an, an episode for each story all right i would prefer they just make bad boy a full show but <laughs> i'll take it yeah <laughs> like the first episode is most of the story and then the middle 140 episodes are like just them doing weird sex stuff and then the series finale is the end of the story <laughs> yeah i'm here for it everybody Thank you so much for listening. It was so great having you on, Katie. It was great being uh, here. You guys can all follow me at Lenny Burnham, follow the show at Chapter Surfing, and if you want to get episodes two weeks early uh, and without an ad for anything else on the Major Cast Network, although I don't know why you would want that, uh, <laughs> you can sign up for my Patreon by searching for Lenny Burnham. Katie, would you like to plug anything? I would. Uh, you can follow me on Twitter at Katie L. Wright. You can check out my podcast about the works of Brett Easton Ellis on iTunes or wherever. Um, I guess it's not iTunes anymore on the, pod, the Apple podcasts um, or wherever else. Um, it's currently on hiatus, but we've already covered pretty much everything Brett Easton Ellis has ever done. <laughs> and Lenny's been on several times. Um, so check it out. And um, I also am a, a creative writing teacher. And during lockdown i'm teaching all my workshops on zoom so they are accessible no matter where you live <laughs> and they are donation based so if you're broke you can still take them um i am working on making a website but i don't have one yet so just find me on twitter if you're interested in those at katie l Wright. thanks for listening everybody oh and check out arden arden season two i'm an actress on that lenny wrote for it okay <laughs>
wherever you get podcasts, whenever we feel like posting it. Thanks for listening to the Major Casts Network. Stay fun, stay nasty, and stay major.